Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, January 19th, 2024, Iowa Republican Caucus's review edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, uh, come on now, once again, you know what's on the podcast this week, too. All right. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. With me this week, once again, the full team. When it's caucus time, we come through with the full lineup. We have Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Hello, Tom. Got my ticket punched, Aaron. I got my <laughs> ticket punched. Wait, wait, which are you a fourth ticket or were you one of the three? Uh, I was, I was, uh, I was the rare fourth ticket out okay, of out of, very, out of Iowa. A very um, special fourth ticket. So you know, you got first class economy standby, <laughs> and then um, I'm I'm in the baggage holding area. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. Lead Des Moines Bureau Chief Caleb McCullough is with us. Hello, Caleb. Hello, Aaron. We have Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times podcasting in the dark on our Zoom screen. Hello, Sarah. I assume you're there. Hello, Aaron. <laughs> we have Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal with us. Hello, Jared. Aaron, it's snowing and we're talking caucuses again, and I, I don't even know what the hell day it is anymore. It's Groundhog's Day, clearly. <laughs> and uh, finally... October? <laughs> and finally, we have Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Greetings, Todd. Greetings. And I would like to announce that I have called the 2024 presidential election, but we'll, I'll leave you in suspense for now. You already does, have the data. Does it, does it seem early? I don't know. It's, it's subjective these days. Um, all right, let's jump straight into this again. Uh, after about 10 or 11 months of campaigning on Monday night, we finally had the 2024 first in the nation Iowa Republican presidential precinct caucuses. That former President Donald Trump won should have come as a surprise to absolutely nobody. The only remaining unanswered questions going into Monday night, as we discussed last week on the podcast, were who would finish second and how big would Trump's victory margin be? And so now we know those answers. Respectively, Ron DeSantis and huge. Trump made history by winning the Republican caucuses with 51% support and by beating the field by 30 points. DeSantis finished a distant second with 21%, and Nikki Haley was third at 19%. So now that the caucus circus has left town for its next stop in New Hampshire, let's give you folks our 2024 Iowa Republican caucuses autopsy. And just like last week's preview episode of the podcast, on this week's review episode, I'd like to have another free-willing, wide-open discussion. Just Let's just let her rip. Um, but again, I'd uh, pick someone out to uh, kick us off. And this week, I'd like to have Jared do the honors because uh, while I like to think that we were all the voice of reason through 2023 and managing expectations of what might and might not happen throughout the caucuses, Jared, I feel like you were maybe the most reasoned voice of all. So get us started here in our 2024 caucus review. I, I I don't like that I'm somehow a reasoned voice here, and that really makes me uh, <laughs> shudder. Um, I I think if we're starting with the um, the extreme wide shot of things, uh, it's that the caucuses really seem to be at the end of an era, not the end overall, because I don't think Republicans would uh, keep Iowa from going first in the future, but maybe the end of a certain kind of relevance. And I say that because 
you know, the turnout was bad. Even if you factor in the weather, turnout was the worst since 2000 for a competitive primary. The race was called before a number of precincts uh, even had the chance to vote, uh, which I take issue with as a reporter. News organization shouldn't be uh, a story on such an important night. And then, you know, just narrowing in even more. And I, I know I kind of talked about this last week, but, you know, things that mattered in previous cycles did not end up mattering that much on Monday night. Santa's got those coveted endorsements and he did the full Grassley and he got half as many votes as Marco Rubio did in 2016 um, when Marco Rubio finished in third place. So, you know, some of that could be that it's just difficult to compete with uh, the amount of national exposure that Trump gets. And so much of national politics is local now. But, you know, a big part of this uh, mythologizing of the Iowa caucuses, what even appealed to me when I was up here in 2012 as a college reporter, was the retail politics. And those did not matter at all this time. Um, and then kind of with that said, I guess, you know, at my own caucus site that I covered, the attendance was good. Uh, there were at least like 360 people in the room and half of those were newcomers, which was um, pretty surprising because an another takeaway is that statewide, the newcomer numbers weren't quite as prominent as we might have expected them to be based on some of the polling for like Trump in particular. So uh, I won't uh, steal any more points. Those <laughs> I think those are my main takeaways. Yeah. And let me Jared. let me follow up real quick. Jared. Sorry, sorry, Tom. Let me ask really quick because we touched on this a little bit last week on the podcast too um and uh someone else mentioned that while what you described certainly took <clears throat> pardon me took place this cycle that that might be a unique phenomenon to donald trump so i'm curious what you think about that jared it, it, it is 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 the the are the caucuses evolving or was this just a donald trump thing and someone's gonna win them four years from now by going back to pizza ranches in nine, all 99 counties and talking to a dozen people at a time in little cafes and diners. I I do think just some of it is going to be permanently changed because even, even races that, that Trump hasn't necessarily been in, we see those get blown up to national proportions all the time too. Like, you know, we had our off, off year school board elections and, you know, the Moms for Liberty candidates didn't do very well. And there were people covering that that were not at all in Iowa. So I think some of this is just going to be permanent of the whole, you know, kind of nationalization of everything political. Interesting. Okay. Sorry, Tom, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, that, that's, that's all right. I was just gonna, I was curious. I was going to ask Jared um, where, uh, what caucus site he was at, where he, where he was at on caucus night. Yeah. So I was in uh, Sioux city. I was at the uh, Western Iowa tech uh, community college campus, which was one of the bigger um, sites in the, the city um, and there was like a conference center that was having people caucus and then another big uh, meeting room uh, at the college campus that was having people. And I think ours was maybe the bigger turnout of the two. I'd have to go back and check the, the numbers again, but that that's where I was. Interesting. Good point, Jared. I'll, uh, I, I, I definitely... Um, think that the nationalization of the the contest is a huge deal and, and it, it has been uh has been kind of permanently uh kind of etched into what kind of the, what what it has been for the almost past decade and, and going forward but i do think it's interesting as far as the retail aspect of things that it's it seems like there's you still need to have um action like people on the ground and like uh 
and an organization in the state to do well. I mean, if you look at Ron yeah. DeSantis, he 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 outperformed the polling uh, the week or two before the caucuses. I, largely, I think because he had um, a bigger ground game than Nikki Haley and had uh, had people more more dedicated to show up. And and the same thing with Trump, where you know the Trump campaign, Trump was only here a few times, but they weren't just you know running ads. They were uh, organizing their caucus captains and and trying to get the, that kind of grassroots organizing going on. So it is interesting to see. I think like the narratives and the support and the issues that people care about as it's very much motivated by by the national uh, uh, framework. But but it, ha- it was interesting to see that some, there was some light, if it was if anything, slight uh, effect of the uh, ground organizing for sure this year. So yeah, um, one. Sorry, I, oh. I was I was just going to say to to that. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was out uh, following candidates um, Sunday, the day before the caucuses, and it was um, somewhat um, surprising to me just the number of people who were telling me that they still hadn't made up their mind as to who they were going to support <laughs> on on Monday and that they weren't going to make that decision until Monday and that this was their um, you know, either first or second time seeing the candidates in person, but but emphasizing just how important it was for them, though, to be able to 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 see the candidate, to meet them, to ask them questions um, that, you know, they didn't want to make up their mind based off of um what they see on TV ads or based off of what they see from news reports on their campaign events and rallies and in other parts of the state, you know, again, it, it, it played into that importance of uh, the retail politics of the Iowa caucuses. They want to meet the candidate, you know, they want to see them, they want to ask them questions, they want to hear from them directly. And I don't know that that's going to change that much. Tom, to, to your point about the, uh, the people not having made up their minds entirely, uh, even on caucus night, I, I checked my clock after I got done talking to this guy. It was 6.50, and I don't think he was BSing me. He still did not know who he was going to actually write down on the paper ballot once he got it. Yeah, so, and this segues us perfectly into, um, I wanted to circle back and make sure we talk about this because it, it was such an interesting and big story coming out of Monday night, and, and a few of you all have already alluded alluded to it which is the early calling of the results. And and that's one of the terrible. Yeah. And that's one of the things that we've been hearing, um, uh, especially from Republican party of Iowa chairman, Jeff Kaufman is the unique thing about the caucuses is you go into that building and you can change your mind. You can have, there's people there who are literally that's their job to change minds uh, at that last second in that spot. And by calling the race, you're sort of interfering with that. And I'm, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm for this, podcast at least i'm, I'm gonna stay out of this one because i have already written a story on this and i and i'm uh, may have another one uh coming um uh, stay tuned um but i'm curious uh, what y'all think or, or, or what you're all comfortable saying about that early call and it wasn't just i mean that's what's remarkable too is ap cnn fox news um nbc news were all right around six between 6 30 i'm sorry 7 30 and 7 40 um, all really early on that. Um, uh, what's everybody think about that one? I don't necessarily think that it's it was it was a great thing to um, that people were you know could have seen the results, but at the site I was at, people had like kind of just written down. 
their name, the people who they wanted and people were like collecting the papers. So I don't think probably too many people, unless they were like really checking their phone, probably saw it. But also if you did see it, um, I don't know if that like would, have you know, I, I don't know who that would have helped. Like, would that if somebody was on the fence between Trump and DeSantis and they see, oh, hey, they've called up for Trump. Well, you know what? Am I either going to bandwagon for Trump or am I going to is that going to change my mind? And I'm like, well, you know, I might as well register a protest vote for DeSantis if Trump is already winning. So, you know, I don't really know who that goes toward. And it's probably variable on the individual. But um, you know what I mean? I, I don't necessarily know that everybody looking at that alert uh, would bandwagon for Trump. I, I don't I really don't know that that would have made like a huge difference um, if they had called it. 20 minutes later in the actual results of the of the caucuses i think even more just kind of outside of like a, a caucus view is more of like a media criticism thing is if you have a lot of discontent with the media already and a lot of discontent or suspicion about how elections are held that calling uh caucuses which are very messy early can really fuel both of those things. Now, I know people are going to be suspicious of those no matter what. I'm not foolish of that. But that's where I would be a little nervous in particular about doing more harm than good. Well, it's one Yeah, of I would agree with that. I was just going to say, it's one of those situations where just because you can doesn't mean you should. Uh, I'm sure the Associated Press had some compelling data. They had entrance polls. They had all sorts of numbers that showed that Trump was going to win. But I mean, this isn't an election like a normal election where you've got, you know, usually they at least hold off until the polls close. Now, they may call an election 30 seconds after the polls close, but they usually wait until the polls close. Of course, in this case, people hadn't voted. So I think that's that's a difference. And uh, I mean, it, and you know, being first with something that everyone already knew was going to happen didn't <laughs> Didn't seem that ex <laughs> didn't seem that exciting. I mean, yeah. we probably could have waited till eight thirty to find out the inevitability was correct. I mean, it's it's just one of those things. That, so the caucuses were already sort of boring. I mean, you know, go, going into Monday night, and then then it's like the AP said, "Well, how can we make this even more <laughs> boring? How can we take how can we take any any small thimble of?" Uh, drama and and just dump it out yeah we'll call the race at 7 30 i mean yeah i i i sat around to find out who you know got second but mm. i doubt many people did i i just wanted to drill down on the point that you you sort of sort of made there and and i'm not excusing or or taking aside one way or the other here um what what i think makes this so complicated and for anybody listening who may not completely understand this between the way media organizations work and between the way the caucuses work. As Todd pointed out, it, media organizations have what is a very clear and easy rule to follow in normal elections, which is that they don't, even when they know who's going to win before the polls close, they don't until the polls close, which is why when you watch CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or whatever on election night, at seven o'clock exactly, they will go on and say, okay, here's five states that we can immediately the, call the for Donald Trump. Has... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've, <laughs> they've known that since probably about a month ago, um, but they don't. Uh, they, they announce it and they wait that night until the polls are officially closed. 
so they don't want to interfere with they're not announcing winners while people can still vote in an election now with the caucuses that's not when that participation takes place varies from site to site it's not an exact prescribed scheduled time and then so you say well okay err on the side of caution then well now that requires a bunch of competing media organizations to collectively decide on a time or decide that I'm not going to try and be first and risk the other guy undermining them. Again, not excusing it, just describing the lay of the land for the people and, and what, what complicates this whole thing. Well, it's also possible that uh, the people who were on the uh the decision desk or whatever at AP had been there in 2020 and they were so excited to actually call the results of a caucus. You know, they never did even call. They never did right. say who won the Democratic they've been, caucuses. They've been sitting on this ago. for four years, man. They finally were able to pull the trigger and it. they just couldn't wait. Not yeah, a half comp- hour. We've been waiting for four years and a half <laughs> hour to make this call. The competition was something I was going to point out in this definitely a something that you can criticize the networks and the and the ap and, and those people for um is that you know if you if you uh you don't want to be the guy the network that calls it half an hour an hour after somebody else has already called it if you have the data and somebody else has already called it like it, it doesn't it, I, it makes sense for them from their perspective to just go ahead and call it so yeah and you don't want to be la- you don't want to be second either you want to be first so yeah and yeah, and then, and then you got the situations like in 2000 in Florida, where all the networks called Florida for Gore, and then as the night went on and the votes were counted, it turned out he didn't win Florida. So, and of course we know all the crap that happened after that. But yeah, I mean, I understand the desire to be first, but I don't know. I, I think it's more of a thing that journalists care about and less of a thing that actual, you know, readers and viewers care about. Broadly speaking, I agree 100% with you on that, Todd, and I could spend a whole podcast talking about that, but I won't. (laughs) I was just going to say, and just to throw this out there to see what everybody thinks, I think the explanation was along the lines of, um, well, the caucus goers are already there. There's probably not going to be anybody that's going to get up and leave and not vote if, if the race is called, whereas like if you if they called it before polls had closed, it might deter people from going to the polls and registering their vote. Um, you know, and I don't. You know, obviously that's their argument. I'm not necessarily agreeing or disagreeing with that, but I'm just curious what others think. Yeah, and to that, I had one of the so I reached out to the all the different networks and news organizations for the story that I wrote this week, and that was one point that um, um, are kind of carrying beyond that point, Sarah, taking it a step further that they said, hey, look, um, you know, we waited until they were in there and caucusing, um, even if they hadn't necessarily cast the vote yet. And and they also said, look, this didn't change the results. If you look at our entrance poll uh, data that we had going in, it matches up almost exactly with what the results were. So any concerns about it impacting how the, the, the caucuses turned out, they're saying, is unfounded um again i i i feel like i sound like i'm defending the news organizations here and i'm not i'm just i'm, I'm ha- i have reporter hat on here and i'm and typical I'm media yeah right <laughs> just, just another defending uh defending my own um no i i i think it's well and and i think it's interesting and 
I think to um, Jared, I think it was you who said, you know, like the way the way trust is in the media and election these days, maybe it would have been more prudent to um, hold off. I, I feel my sense is, and I, I hope to talk to Chairman Kaufman soon uh, to, to pick his brain a little more on this. Um, but my early sense of this is that I feel like there's a sensitivity to this in regards to the caucus operations, too. Right. Like he has seen what went wrong with the Democrats. And it's obviously not the same thing, yeah. but we're talking about, you know, um, perception outside of uh, how the caucuses operate and whether they're the right way to do things. And, and, and I sense a little bit of worry from the state party chairman that this gives the caucuses a black eye in some way and, and, and in a way that he had no control over on top of it. Uh, maybe to, to, to pivot back into some non uh, media related uh, caucus stuff. Please, uh, there, navel gazing. I, I had two notes in particular from uh, from our area that really piqued my uh, interest. And that's that um, Ramaswamy did uh, quite well in Crawford County. He got 23% of the vote, um, which it, I think was his best anywhere in the state. I didn't go through every single county, but it was among the highest that he got in any county. That's for, for sure. And I really wish I was there in uh, Crawford County on caucus night to get a sense of why on that one. And then um, the other thing is that, um, you know, I talked plenty and so did plenty of other um, Iowa politics experts about how important Sioux County would be. And that was one of the only counties in the entire state that Trump didn't win a majority in. Um, and that's a very conservative Christian stronghold. And I wonder if that kind of discontentment with Trump is going to continue or it'll sort of fade once he's the nominee and people will kind of come back into the fold on Crawford County. I'll, I'll note that that is the home seat uh, or the home County of uh, representative Stephen Holt, who endorsed Ramaswamy at, like a week before the caucuses. And I'm so I'm, maybe, I'm maybe that's uh, maybe if that, if yeah. that's what did it, but, or maybe it's the other way around that he saw his whole community was supporting him and he flipped it. But yeah, that is interesting. As we've said Kim many Reynolds. times, yeah, as we've said many that. times, Endorsements are huge. They matter. They just uh -huh. matter yeah. so much. They can, they can change the race. I have a mug right now on my table that says that. <laughs> so not Kim Reynolds, not Bob Vanderplatz, but Steve Holt is the true kingmaker in Iowa politics. Fantastic. That's interesting. I appreciated a letter to the editor to the Sioux City Journal that was like headlined, like, what the heck, the fake? Yep. That was pretty yeah. funny. That was one of, from one of our more uh, prolific uh, letter writers talking about Ramaswamy dropping out. It was on election night, right? I my mind yeah. isn't completely terrible. Yeah. No, first of all, no apologies for having to ask for help remembering thing at this point, uh, yeah. Jared. <laughs> it is all one big jumble. Um, uh, one thing I was going to point out, and it's not the most important thing in the world, and um. Look, I'm I'm up for fair analysis and criticism of anything, um, and and uh, objectively, the industry has had its struggles in the past. But uh, you know, also had a good night was polling. Oh yeah, um, I mean, it 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 was now, and especially Ann Selzer once again uh, is popping the champagne. That last Iowa poll, um, 
was remarkably close. Uh, and then I looked at a, a couple other um, ones that uh, maybe flew under the radar, but um, I think, yeah, Trafal Trafalgar was one, Trafalgar Group. Emerson had a poll right at the end there. They're, they were one of the few that had polls in those in the field in the last few days uh, before the caucuses, and and they are staggeringly close to the final results. So I, I thought that was interesting that both in the long haul and uh, especially at the very end, uh, the polls nailed it. So uh, despite what I heard from a couple of candidates uh, at more than one stop <laughs> and surrogates uh, that uh, we shouldn't believe the polls, that, that the polls don't decide the people do, well, people decided in the exact same way that they told the polls. So I thought that was interesting. All right, it was a 30-point blowout. What else can we milk out of this thing? Uh, who's who's the who got the Beth ticket? If we're if DeSantis and Haley both got tickets punched, who is better position? Um, would people say? <laughs> well, I mean, the, I'll just go and see if anybody wants to correct it. That the easy answer, the most conventional wisdom answer, is that Nikki Haley's third place finish is better than Ron DeSantis's second place finish, just because of the way they, the respective way that they devoted their resources here and her better positioning in New Hampshire and South Carolina. Is there any reason to question that line of thinking? No. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah I it, agree. Didn't, it didn't show that, you know, if, if, yeah, if DeSantis had kind of blown her away and been much closer to Trump or, or um, had half of Nikki Haley's support, uh, it would have really set up, you know, okay, Ron DeSantis looks really strong coming out of Iowa and he goes to New Hampshire where he may not have as invested as many resources, but, um, but yeah, with Nikki Haley performing neck and neck, it really showed that Iowans not voting for Trump uh, were pretty fractured on, on who to pick. It, it really is staggering and it can't be said enough that, there were two candidates who either got above or around 20%, and both of them were still 30 points or more behind the person who won. Like, in a multi-candidate race, for that to happen is just wild. Yeah, and that's why that 51% number is such a big deal. I mean, nobody has ever, in a competitive Republican caucus, nobody's ever reached that level. Now, look, we can have a, a sort of tangential discussion here about you know, it, does that come with an asterisk because there's also never been a former president in the field as a non-incumbent in the caucuses? You know, he he was kind of like a quasi-incumbent, and you know, there's a discussion there. But acknowledging that that 51% number is 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 remarkable. It really is. I laughed at uh, NPR reported they had their five takeaways from the caucuses, and one of them is that they added up the ad spending as 100 and. $24 million. And if you divided that among caucus scores, everybody could have got a check for more than 1200 bucks. Could have just, could have just Careful about what you pitched there. Somebody landed in jail for that kind of talk. I mean, I know there were some gift go. cards possible earlier, but I would have signed up for the caucuses if I could have got my 1200 bucks. Something um, more and to the Trump support, and this was definitely my particular room, but there is definitely a uh, fervency and an extreme bent to some of the Trump support that's out there. Because in my room, the person who spoke on Trump's behalf, and this was someone, you know, that the campaign was good with giving a speech, 
talked about um, globalist managed depopulation. Um, and he got a major applause from the room that it was not just like a few scattered claps. And that that is something that objectively is a very, very far out conspiracy theory. Did he, did he mention Agenda 21 and roundabouts? and? It didn't get that specific. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, I mean, you it. saw the, the entrance polls where about two thirds don't believe Biden was Biden's election was legitimate. And two thirds say if he's in if he's found guilty of crimes, he's still fit to be president. I mean, those are, you know, those are far right viewpoints. And the Trump campaign, which I was kind of interested in, um, has like fully embraced Vivek Ramaswamy too. Now he he spoke at um, his New Hampshire rally recently, and he certainly caters to I would say that kind of online far right conspiracy uh, universe. So it, it maybe it's the maybe it's the population that that uh, that they're they're working on. So interesting. I think we have alluded in the past. By the way, there's another uh, call that we made here about uh, Vivek Ramaswamy's purpose in 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 this campaign uh, i think he nailed it uh when we saw him on the stage with former president trump in new hampshire another one you know this is again from from my room uh the hostility toward uh governor reynolds in parts of the party is very real um at, at my caucus site someone who was quite committed to trump was trashing reynolds for being disloyal and he was getting plenty of head nods for doing that and he even said some very uh, had some very unkind, uh, not uh, podcast friendly words to say about her too, and that was also getting plenty uh, of head wow. nods. And then you have you know this Trump speculation about Brenna Bird being a great governor at some that? point. That that doesn't happen if everyone in the party is copacetic with with the governor and the stances that the governor has taken. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, Jared. That's so interesting because in the Trump events that I covered. Um, I, I feel like I had a, a mix, uh, but I probably had more people who would say, I really don't. And this, again, specifically at Trump events, um, would say, I don't really like that the governor did that, but I have no problem with her, you know, going forward. So that so that's really interesting to hear you, uh, some people uh, at your precinct who were going all the way with it say, and being totally upset with the governor over there. and and again i mean i was in you know sioux city which woodbury county was not one of the like biggest landslides of any county for for trump for monday night so i was just gonna go back quick to the like quasi incumbency status of donald trump a lot of people that i talked to at my precinct in walcott um which is in rural scott county they just didn't really want to risk it going for another candidate they were like well you know i voted for donald trump in 2016 2020 i you know maybe even met with desantis and just you know i don't know maybe maybe he he was good in florida but how's he going to do that nationwide and you know they're just really like mm -hmm. well why would i why would i go with anything different if if uh, trump's already been president that that's a big one. Thank you for that, Sarah. That I immediately had flashbacks when you said, "Yeah, he did great in Florida, but I don't know if he's ready uh, for the national stage yet." I heard that a number of times at Trump rallies too. And on, on the incumbency point, I mean, and this probably bodes well or bodes poorly for for Biden going into twenty twenty four. But like, if if there was a competitive Democratic primary, I, I don't even know if Biden would get fifty percent of the vote. Like, it's it's not. There's a very strong connection even for an incumbent to Trump, I think, even for a quasi-incumbent. 
A, uh, a fun little thing that happened just by who I kept pestering to talk to me on Monday night. Uh, I talked to a mom who was all in for Nikki Haley. And then I also ended up talking to her son. And her son was all in for uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. So that was a real uh, house divided sort of uh, situation going on. That is. And now, now you're, oh, you know, and usually at the end you heard it's either DeSantis and Haley they're trying to decide between or DeSantis and Trump, for example. I, I want to say it was a Vivek versus Haley voter individual. Yeah. I, and now look, that was that's, one person. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, find that's still wild. Yeah. I didn't find widespread example of this. But yeah, that's who it was. It was someone whose final two was was they, they kind of said, I kind of like all four, but their final two that they were deciding between were Vivek and and Nikki Haley. If anything, though, right, this speaks to. And, and I don't want to suggest that the work that we all do is useless uh, for <laughs> 10 months of, on a campaign, but it, it's how often that we see that it's just this connection that there's, it's like a magical sauce and there's no explaining it. This, this feeling that people just get when they're picking a candidate in these things and there's no rhyme or reason to it. And, and that's maybe just another example of that. Well, and so to that, I went to um, a DeSantis campaign event um, Sunday, so the day before the caucuses in Cedar Rapids, and I talked to a couple there, and they were both undecided between DeSantis and Haley. And I kept, you know, asking them, you know, prodding, trying to be like, you know, what is it going to take for one of these candidates to, right, right. to to solidify your support? I mean, you know, what is this decision going to come down to for you guys? And um, after asking that same question a couple of different ways of, of finally, um, the wife essentially said, you know, it's going to be a gut decision. It's just going to be a gut decision. Um, and, and, and the husband eventually said the same thing, you know, it's, it's just going to be how we feel about these candidates in our gut. It's not going to be based on, you know, any particular policy stance or issue. It's just that gut decision of who do we think is going to be the best candidate to, you know, beat Biden, um, and, and, uh, take on Democrats and the left and the media. Um, last thing, uh, before we wrap it up and, and again, this has sort of been touched on a little bit. I'm curious if any of you all have any thoughts on, uh, the next Iowa caucus and, and the, the one thing that I keep hearing about from national types in, in the wake of the caucuses is someone mentioned earlier, the turnout. And, um, look, I think to me, honestly, that feels like a little bit of, um, being opportunistic you could look at turnout from even the good years in iowa and, and say it's a low number uh relatively speaking to you know however you what you want to compare it to across the country it, it it's, it's iowa it's not going to be a big number so i think part of that is, is opportunism um but it was a little lower for whatever reason whether it was the weather whether it was just general engagement in the race was down this year which i i do think anecdotally was the case but anyways, I, I that that was the thing I hear the national types talking about coming out of this one, and I and to to, to have the conversation that keeps Jeff Kaufman up at night. Um, do you guys think that the Republican Party will come for Iowa the way the Democrats did, and and change their calendar? 
I mean, it's always been a small number of Iowa Republicans making a decision, right? So, I mean, we had, you know, ballpark roughly 110,000 votes on Monday night compared to, you know, the record in 2016 was somewhere around 186,000, 187,000 votes. And then um, in uh, uh, what were the what would the other cycles have been? Um, 20. 1208 1208 yeah. you 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 were you were probably somewhere um closer to what 120,000 so, so i mean you know it, it seems like we're kind of being nitpicky here if you know between 110,000 versus 187,000 you know making Yeah that's decision. what i mean if 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 low turnout was your issue why wasn't why weren't you raising this in those cycles right. too yeah exactly yeah like but the you know but, but i guess is is that and I agree with that. I wonder is, but is that the chum in the water for the sharks at the national level? Are, are we going to see a fight to keep Iowa first on the Republican side too, or do you think that gets well, left alone? Well, and, I mean, and, and, but here's another argument you can make. I mean, okay, so if it wasn't Iowa going first, I mean, would 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 there have been a different result in any other state? I don't know at this point in the game necessarily that there would have been a different result. I, I, I mean, you know, Trump would have still been the winner. You know, granted, it may not have been a 30 point lead, but I mean, it still would have been, you know, probably a sizable double digit. Um, well, and. In his national polls, he actually leads by wider margins than he well, did in, in Iowa. So, well, yeah. yeah, there you go. I, I think even if things had been as catastrophic as they possibly could have been, which there's nowhere near catastrophe, that I still would have a hard time believing things would change on the calendar, in part because, at least at the national level, the national level Republicans, there are plenty of people who are very, very loyal to, to Trump, and they would not have any reason to want to change the calendar. That's a good point. I also just don't, I just don't think there's a lot of motivation from Republicans. I mean, we, like we saw how hard it was, even though all the, like the, at the national level, Democrats all wanted to get rid of it. It was just a hard, complicated, long process for them to do it. The Republicans don't really have much of a reason. They don't, they're not as um, bothered by the accessibility issues or the, the diversity issues. And um, so just as far as keeping things how they've always been, quote unquote, it, I just don't see a big push for it. Well, and well, you can even, argue that the Iowa caucuses gave Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley their best shot at, at making their case. Right. I, I mean, and, and, and you know, uh, to some degree, the same with uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, you know, would they have gotten that same opportunity and that same chance if you would have gone with with a different state? Yeah, I guess I wonder and I, you know, you guys can chime in here if it if Trump does become the nominee and he loses again, does that change the Republican Party's mind? I mean, if Trump runs again and, you know, they come back to Iowa, the party be like, well, do we think Iowa's voices have changed? Do we think we should go with a state where it's a little less Trump friendly so he doesn't run again or or lose it? You know, I, I don't know if that if whether Trump becomes the nominee and whether he would win the presidency, I wonder if that would that would uh, spark any kind of conversations. Well, I, I I think that the Republican Party is going to remain pretty Trumpy, even after Trump is gone, and Iowa is one of the Trumpiest provinces in Trump land, and so I think those candidates that are still, you know, pushing that agenda would love to start 
here and and talk to this this uh, group of voters who are much more like-minded than they might find other places. Um, I think that's really good. I I, I tend to agree. I I don't I I don't think it changes. Sarah does. That's an interesting question. I hadn't posed. I hadn't considered. Sarah, if if Trump becomes the nominee this year and then loses the general, um, and then comes back in four years and says he wants to run again, is there maybe some motivation within the party to shift things around to make it uh, a little harder for him? That that's that's a fascinating thought experiment. There, I got to be honest, that's interesting. Last thing I wanted we open uh, with the same uh, gentleman we closed because Jared, I wanted to ask, um, and I apologize in advance because this has been a this is going to be a terrible impression, but in my best possible Hannibal Lecter, Jared, have the emails stopped filling your inbox, Jared? Uh, no, they haven't. So I had to go into uh, block sender mode. <laughs> Same here. My my favorite activity this week was uh, creating a rule and outlook to send all the campaign emails into a new folder that I'm never going to look at again. So. <laughs> For now, I'm enjoying actually manually deleting them like there's something satisfying about going, event in New Hampshire? Nope, don't care. <laughs> right? I'm right I, there I, with you. Yeah, I'm now, sure eventually I'm going to get sick of it and either unsubscribe or do a folder like now. Now uh, all of us journalists can go back to getting emails and say, did you know Iowa is the 10th ranked state for buying uh, rubber tree plants from local shrubberies? <laughs> Seriously. My God, what is that? There is a cottage industry out there, man, for state rankings and PR pitches. Holy moly. All right, folks, that does it for this caucus review edition of On Iowa Politics. We hope you enjoyed it. We enjoyed bringing it to you. We hope you uh, enjoyed our coverage over the last 10 months. Uh, we are all going to now go take a nap. So uh, if you're not already, Please subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts. And you can also catch the podcast each week on your preferred Gazette or Lean newspaper website. Now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter. For every morning in your inbox, you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that free newsletter at the Gazette's website, thegazette.com. Lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Muscatine Journal, Cedar Rapids Gazette, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Mason City Globe Gazette, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Sioux City Journal. Victory Lap by Tone DeBoss is playing us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom Barton, Caleb McCullough, Sarah Watson, Jared McNett, Todd Dorman, and our producer, Bailey Chihan, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thank you for listening. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.